Welcome to Prajna Spark's Contemplation Interlude, where Yeshe and Zopa answer listener questions and discuss the previous full episode. Please take a moment to like, follow, and review us. This is the best possible offering as it helps us reach new listeners. Hi, Yeshe. Hi, Zopa. There are a couple of clarification questions on both the meditation and the talk from last week's full episode on humility. And I'd like to start with something that struck me as absolutely beautiful from your meditation practice and that other listeners also found compelling. You said that humility allows us to engage with our immediate experience, stepping outside the duality of self-conception. Can you talk a little more about that? I would love to. That was something that was really coming up for me. And part of what I was reflecting on was just the sense of how humility helps us step into the space where we're not looking outward so much to get our needs met. I feel like this is such a central piece of the Buddha Dharma, the path, where the Buddha is helping us recognize that we need to look inward for what it is that we're seeking, the sense of wholeness, well-being, all of these different things, and yet we keep looking outwards how this connects to humility, to stepping into that non-dual space, at least in my mind, is this sense where we're not looking to others to say that we're okay, that what we're doing is okay, that we're meeting some exterior criteria that uh, we feel imposed upon us, whether in the moment or from all of our cultural and familial upbringing and baggage and things like that, where it really feels much more like we are recognizing this sense of yearning, this sense of striving and not going into the comparisons that our mind is so used to doing and all the value judgments and instead letting go and letting be in the moment where we start to really feel our connection with ourselves, our connection with our experience, just as it is. And instead of judging it and saying, oh, I'm not good enough, my experience isn't good enough, or, oh, wow, I'm the best, I'm great, I'm much better than this person, all of these very wobbly supports that we build up to try to make ourselves feel better, and ironically, that keep us from really interacting with our experience. That space of humility, when I really dig down into it for myself, it feels like the sense of welcoming in experience, welcoming in my sense of just whatever is going on in the moment, and not so much comparing it to what I think I should be or what the world should be or what the world should give me or what others should give me or how I'm disappointing others or any of those whirlpools of thought and expectation. Whereas humility to me, that sense of awe, 
that sense of amazement at life, at the world, at what our nature is, at the nature of mind, all of these amazing different aspects of the path. I mean, I feel like it connects with so much of the path, but really that kernel of just being in our experience without judging it and trying to control it and make it something else. So that was something that was really coming up very strongly for me. And and I feel like it's such a potent area for exploration that I'd also love to hear your thoughts on it. What struck me when I first heard your meditation, your guided practice, and that instruction is how it immediately pulls you out of a lot of assumptions around being humble or having humility, being in line with cultural ideas of putting yourself down or having a low opinion of yourself or not having a sense of self-worth or ranking at the bottom of some kind of hierarchy. The way you described it resonates because it's connecting more with the stream of that word and the meaning that relates to earth and groundedness and receiving. So that's what I really found so touching in that instruction, that like a lot of things in the Dharma, the use of a term in everyday worldly contexts is not necessarily the same as in Dharma contexts. There may be a different filter, a different color that Dharma brings to it. <laughs> that's so funny because that's like applying humility to our assumption that we understand what the word means <laughs> instead of just really yeah. feeling into it, opening up to it with a sense wonderful. of exploration. That's really what Dharma practice and Dharma study is about, which is another piece that I found really relevant. When we're interacting with a Dharma, are we interacting from a space of humility where we are able to receive, where the Dharma nectar is flowing downstream to where we are ready to receive it? Or are we engaged in an attitude, a stance of hubris that's brittle and tough and ready to contradict the dharma rather than take it into experience and see what happens yeah i love that receptivity because that that really feels like it captures this portion of it that we don't normally think of when we talk about humility again when we normally think of humility being humble all of these different things it, it does seem to like step into a very dualistic sphere of better than worse than not good enough all of these different things whereas just like we're exploring right now and i feel like the podcast also got into that sense of being receptive of being open of stepping into the place of not needing to know, not needing to control, but being receptive to the blessings, like you're saying. It's so, so potent and so beautiful and so in line with, not just with the Dharma, but really with what I, I see so many people hungering for, is that sense of flow, that sense of being in their life. And I don't think we often connect humility with that yearning. But the more that we're exploring this in this podcast and talking about it, I'm really sensing that, really feeling into that, that place of just how much humility does open us up to life, does open us up to experience. 
I love what you just said about that sort of letting go of that wish to control because we can even use things like humility and being humble to control. Oh, I'm humbly asking for your patience or apologizing humbly. If you're really doing something humbly, you don't have to label it. Humility doesn't call attention to itself. Just as you say, when you're in that moment and the flow of the moment and the experience, there's an integrity there that does get across without saying, oh, look at me being so humble. It gets across through the energy, through our contact, through our behavior. And again, because it's not seeking outwardly. This is that place, I think, that distinguishes like false humility from the real thing, where false humility feels like it's about some other goal. It's about trying to get some other need met from the outside, as opposed to the sense of opening, being humble, being present, being receptive, like you were just talking about, to experience, to the other person, to the Dharma practice, to the blessings, not in order to get something else, but simply in order just to be. It really feels like there's this aspect of humility for its own sake, as opposed to humility as a means to an end. And of course, paradoxically, what that does is it does open us up to life. It does open us up to experience. It opens us up to to the blessings of the lineage, to that that feeling of reverence and openness. And that's actually a piece that I want to ask you about that came in in one of these questions, which is simply if you could speak some more about the connection between humility and reverence. Oh, that's a real favorite one for me. If we're able to let go a little bit of that grip of things being very dualistic, very flat and two-dimensional, we can start seeing the hyper-dimensionality that includes things like reverence and also we just mentioned hubris, for example. So hubris is a sense of having this extraordinary arrogance, an unbending arrogance, almost the opposite of humility, which if it had a posture is bowing, as we talked about in the Dharma talk. Like everything else, it's hard for us while we're operating under the habit of dualistic misperception to move towards non-duality which is a direct experience. Practice is getting us closer and closer. And one of the ways to do that is to open into all of the different dimensions, all of the different elements involved in any given thing. The great Vietnamese Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh would always talk about the different elements involved. So if we're talking about humility, humility elements and the non-humility elements involved in understanding that experience. And in this case, hubris is a wonderful example of the non-humility element that is included in a multidimensional space that moves towards a closer to non-dual understanding of humility. So it's less about something up there and me down here, way down low, or from the case of hubris, this insistence on one's view being accurate and everything else having to bend to that because it's so unyielding that it won't bend. When we look at it along all of those dimensions, then we can start to connect with 
the elements that are not humility in a different way than hubris. Reverence, per se, is not humility. There are different things. But there's an interconnection between them. The elements of reverence are right there in the humility and vice versa. It's almost impossible to have genuine reverence towards something if you have hubris that keeps you from receiving the qualities of whatever it is you're perceiving, let's say the Buddha, in a way that allows for the possibility that, hey, you know, maybe the Buddha caught on to something that I haven't gotten to yet. Maybe not just the Buddha, but all of these Buddhist heritages in Asia that have carried effective ways of practicing, embodying, and realizing the Buddha's teachings to this day. Maybe they have something to teach me more than I necessarily have to teach them. Now, it's an interesting thing because we're all very individual and we all connect with the teachings and the practices in different ways. So it's not to say that we won't have our own individual take, individual experiences. But when we have that quality of humility that is able to recognize and receive the grandeur of the Buddha's teachings as handed down to us in whatever particular heritage we've encountered, there's a reverence right there. There's a reverence that keeps us receptive, that keeps us on the receiving end of the teachings, the blessings, rather than blotting out what we don't like in the Dharma teaching. Something I don't like, I'm going to take it out, I'm going to change it, and I'm going to say that's the way it was all along. That's hubris. Reverence is seeing the grandeur, recognizing, yeah, you know, maybe I'm not quite there yet, and being able to receive the fluidity, the uniqueness and the ability of dharma to tailor itself to our circumstances without ever changing. This is the quality that I find in the Buddhist heritages of Asia throughout all of Asia. They've preserved the teachings intact in each of their traditions as they received it without in any way impinging on later generations' ability to contact that dharma with the same reverence, the same confidence, the same trust in its efficacy. That's just beautiful. I love that. And it, I also loved how you put it in the New Moon episode. You mentioned that it's that sense of being open to these beings that are really reflecting back to us, our nature, that have realized to a greater extent, that nature. And it's not like we don't have that nature. We do. It's just that these beings, these great lineage masters, these great bodhisattvas and realized masters of the past, the Buddha himself, revealed that nature to fuller and fuller extents or to the fullest extent in, in enlightenment. It's being able to hold both that connection of my nature and the Buddha's nature is the same, but there is a difference in how much that's clear, how much that's experienced, how much that's manifesting. I do feel like we have that longing for that. We have a longing for not just what is the right way for me to live my life, 
But I want to see that in others. I want to see that in the world. I want to encounter that. It's so tragic how how often we get jaded, how much our life experience really in some ways can pull us down into this muck of thinking like, oh, no one's no one's good enough. It's impossible. It's really heartbreaking, actually. And I feel like humility in some ways allows us to connect with that joy, the joy of reverence, the joy of recognizing what is possible beyond just our mundane concerns or creeping through life. It's that humility that sees the distance that the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, the Mahasiddhas, the Arhats have traveled, all of the realized beings, and says at once, oh, so much reverence for what they've done, I'm receiving that. And that humility is actually allowing us to see the reflection of ourselves in them. Because if we see them out of a mindset of hubris, of rejection, of resistance, whatever it may be, then there's no space for that reflection to lighten up, to become luminous in us. As you say, you know, we do look for it all around and we and we see it all around in many ways. That reverence in and of itself and the humility that is a part of the multidimensional experience of it is something that's natural to us. When we hear about somebody who engages in great heroism, or we hear about someone who is willing to put their individual needs aside for the sake of others, the great beings of the world, Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, all of these great beings immediately evoke this sense of reverence and humility at once. It's very natural. So we can see how those are elements that are in tune with one another and how having a harsher rejecting attitude, be it of hubris or possibly racism or possibly partisanism when it comes to particular nationality or religious fundamentalism, all of these rigid ways of dealing with it really put a spoke in that wheel so that that sphere of experience that allows us to move with fluidity between reverence and humility, looking up and looking in, just get stopped. Yeah. And what's so beautiful, too, about whether we're talking about humility or any of these other qualities that we can cultivate along the path is just that, is if we look inwards and we're feeling like, oh, I, I can see the value in humility, but I don't feel much humility in myself. I'm not feeling it. Right now is the place we can start. All of these qualities, even though they're intrinsic to us, they're something that we can cultivate. We practice them. And as we practice them, they become more and more vibrant in our experience, more and more vibrant in our minds and in how we interact with the world. That's really good news. It's even better news because it is exactly the perfect time to do just that. This is the fourth month of the Tibetan lunar calendar, the month of Sakadawa, Buddha's birth, enlightenment, and parinirvana. 
no better time to read stories about the Buddha, listen to his life, his teachings, and connect with the natural reverence that comes up as long as you get out of the way for that natural reverence to come forward. We'll put some links in the episode notes for wonderful resources for reading more about the Buddha's story and connecting with the wonderful heart qualities of his life. Join us on the full moon, Saga Dawa Duchen, for our next full episode. We can't thank you enough for taking the time to like, follow, share, and review Prajna Sparks. It means a lot to us. If you have any questions, contact us via email, Instagram, or Facebook. Check the episode notes for those links and for more resources on today's topic. Visit us on the web at prajnafire.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Prajna Sparks. Thank you for listening. May all beings benefit.